Welcome to another edition of the Stoutcast. I'm Bob Moffitt, your beer-guzzling connoisseur solo today. And today I am in Yolo County. I am in West Sacramento at Yolo Brewing Company with... Ilya Fabushevich. Bless you. How do you spell that? Uh, uh, do you really want to know? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. I-L-Y-A-F-A-I-B-U-S-H-E-V-I-C-H. Fantastic. What is that? That's my name. I know that's your name. <laughs> what nationality? Uh, Russian. Fantastic. And you, sir? Dave Weiss, W-E-I-S-S. And you two are the? Director of Brewing Operations. And? Outgoing Director of Brewing <laughs> Operations. The very first Stoutcast featured the Yolo Brewing Company Vanilla Stout. How is the Vanilla Stout made? So that beer is an old holdover from the Brew It Up days. That recipe's gone through a lot of iterations here, but essentially it's made just like any other beer is made in terms of mixing malted barley and hot water and then straining the water, boiling it, adding some hops. The ingredient that makes it a cream stout is lactose, which is unfermentable sugar. So that gives you some residual sweetness at the end. And then we uh, flavor it with vanilla and we've been doing a number of other flavors as well. So there's vanilla cream stout, peanut butter cream stout, peanut butter jelly cream stout, a handful of other flavors that we're trying out. And then how do you get it to a point where you say, you know what, this is, this is where, this is where it's at, or is that, or is just how it comes out is where it's at? Been a lot of trial and error. That recipe was one of the harder ones for me to get locked down. I would say that the one that we've been going with for the last few batches is probably the fifth or sixth adjustment that I've made to that recipe. Just trying to make minor changes, you know, sometimes it came out roastier than I wanted and I wanted to highlight the sweetness or sometimes it came out way too sweet. So just making little changes, trying to, to get it to behave and do what I want it to do by the time it gets to the final product has been a process. It really seemed to us as we were tasting it and letting it, you know, sit and, uh, you know, you know, warm to room temperature and just kind of putting it through its paces is that it seemed like there was some experimentation going on in that maybe it wasn't, it's, it's not done yet. Is it done? Well, I'm never going to stop thinking of new flavors to put in it. So in that sense, it's not done. I wouldn't say any beer is, is ever finished. You know, everything is always open for little tweaks here and there, trying to make everything as good as it possibly can be is a never-ending process. Within the last month and a half, two months, uh, we've gotten uh, a new, a new to us brewing system. Finally, a professional brewery as opposed to brewing on, you know, what you see here, the old brew it up kettles. It's a very different, like physically different process-wise way of brewing beer. So every recipe that YOLO has had has basically had to be revisited to adjust to the new system. And with that sort of like revisiting every recipe, you sort of get a chance to really like look back on it and change it and tweak it. So it's been like a good opportunity basically to reshape a lot of old recipes. So what's the difference between the old, uh, those are copper kettles? So what's the difference between the old smaller stainless steel kettles that we have here and I'm assuming the ones that I walked by, the huge ones out back when I walked in, those are the new ones? Mm -hmm. So those old kettles, that's a system designed specifically for something called brew on premise, which is a thing that we offer here where customers can come in and brew their own beer. So the, what those kettles are designed for is to be able to brew six different small batches of beer at a time, about 10 or 12 gallons each. The way we were using them was to have one bulk mash ton and then boil in six different kettles. And so when you're adding your hops, for example, you have to weigh it out and then divide it by six so that you have the right amount for each kettle. 
So it's much more labor intensive, much less consistent because you're splitting your batch up that way. Moving over to the bigger system allows us to be more consistent. And another big difference is the boil kettle on the big system has a drain in the side and the small kettles have it in the middle. So that drastically changes the way you can use hops during the boil, just in the sense that I can use much, much more hops in the big kettle than I was ever able to in the small ones. So we're starting to crank out some hoppier beers now. Anything else you can tell us about just the thought process as you're trying to put the components of any beer together, specifically stouts and, uh, you know, the peanut butter and jelly stout? What's is peanut butter and jelly actually in the uh, in the stout? Um, natural peanut butter and jelly flavoring is in the stouts, that particular one. I think probably every brewer has a pretty different process to answer your first question. When I'm thinking of a recipe, it usually starts with one idea. That could be a name or an ingredient, a color. Like at home, I got really into trying to make pink beer with hibiscus. I just became obsessed with the idea of pink beer. And then I kind of build from there and work backwards from what I'm envisioning the final product as and think about what do I have to do to hit those goals. So that's how I do it. I bet Ilya has a whole other concept on recipe formulation. I think mine is different. Like I typically don't start with like a name or a color. In fact, I often like ask other people to name the beers because I... It's just like not something that I really focus on. Maybe I should. But if I have like a beer style that I want to make, I usually do a lot of reading about it and I do a lot of tasting it. So I'll go to like Cordy Brothers or the co-op or, uh, you know, CapTap and like buy a few examples uh, in bottles, try a few examples on draft and kind of drink them, not all in one sitting, but throughout a week, you know, with my wife over dinner or whatever and kind of like take vague mental notes of like okay i like roastiness here like this stout has a good level of roastiness but it's too sweet you know these stouts are too sweet so maybe i should kind of adjust the bitterness more than sort of what i read online because most stouts come in too sweet or something so i'll kind of work from there again also envisioning the final product and working backwards i think that's probably a pretty common trait and the roastiness is from the malts, and the sweetness in this case is from the lactose. Um, not really. The sweetness is usually comes from the brewing process. Uh, so when you uh, mash, uh, when you mix, you know, the grains with warm water, uh, there's a very specific temperature window, somewhere between 140 degrees to 160 degrees Fahrenheit, where the starch in the grain converts to sugar and sort of where you end up steeping the grains in that 140 to 160 degree window, that determines how much fermentable versus like unfermentable sugar you're producing. So you kind of control sweetness that way by like leaving behind a bunch of sugar or allowing the yeast to ferment all the way through it and not leave it behind. The lactose certainly adds to it, the flavors add to it. So sort of the sweetness, how much hops you add, how much bitterness you add to the beer balances and augments or whatever decreases your perception of sweetness in the beer. So the sweetness actually has a lot of factors going into it. The roastiness is specifically sort of the dark character malts that you select and in what amounts. Are there hops in stouts? It's not an ingredient I see a lot. It's not highlighted because stouts aren't hop forward beers. So you're not really getting a lot of hop aroma or hop flavor. But without hops, every stout would be so cloyingly sweet that you wouldn't be able to drink it, even Guinness, which is like a very light beer, a light dry beer. So, you know, in the modern sort of 
definition, in the modern understanding of beer, beer is made with hops. Hops provide bitterness, definitely, to balance the residual sweetness because it's not like wine where the yeast ferments every single sugar absolutely to dryness. Malt is sort of more of a complex product and leaves behind some sweetness. All stouts have hops, they're just not hoppy beers. So that's an important distinction. Pretty much all beer has hops. There's only a few styles that are brewed without it. And even those often are using some kind of herb or other ingredient to provide bitterness. Because like Ilya was saying, without something to balance out the residual sweetness of beer, everything would be very sweet. Um, Especially something like a stout because of all the unfermentable sugar in it. So I, I should have some amount of gratitude for for hops. I've up absolutely. In- should always, that's why we can start talking about hoppy beer on, on your stout cast. <laughs> well, I actually like to use quite a bit of hops in my stouts. But again, all in the very beginning of the boil where all the like volatile flavors and aromas boil off and you're just adding bitterness. So you can handle like a nice, thick, creamy, sort of luscious stout without, you know, feeling like you're drinking sugar. One of the ways that I rate a stout is by the amount of bitterness and like the amount of aftertaste. Because the problem that I have, and people that don't like hops or hoppy beers, is you get that hideous, horrible aftertaste. And that's the one thing about stouts that I really, really like, is that there isn't that that coating of your tongue and just that bitterness, which if you don't like hops, you're just like, you're not down. Yeah, I mean, I... I definitely see what you're saying. I think the sort of like the way that I would evaluate a stout, which might be, I mean, I think we're kind of like talking about both sides of the same coin, but uh, for me is like, can I drink a full glass of it, right? Like, can I drink the like serving size? Which means it has to sort of make sense. So that's in, the dry Irish stout, basically just in the style of a Guinness. Okay. So. I just think it has to make sense in your mouth for long enough that you finish the glass. If you're like, oh, this, this has like amazing complex flavors, but then you don't really like reach, reach back for it again, and all of a sudden like your glass is empty, then it's probably not a great stout or a great beer in general. So that's sort of my like qualification for every beer. I don't know. When you pour one, how long do you usually let it sit? Um, a lot of stouts, it would do them well to warm up a little bit. Uh, but here, the goal for, I think, every tap room is to give you something that you're immediately ready to enjoy. Depending on the stout, sometimes you'll have one that is divine in a frosty glass. But as it warms up, it gets more bitter. Others, it starts off cold and it's barely drinkable and you have to wait for it to warm up. And for yours, where's the sweet spot temperature-wise? So I would say that every beer, for the most part, should be served around like between 39 and 45 degrees. That's pretty North American. In England, they'll serve it much warmer. I think place like Belgium has warmer beer than that, too. Usually what happens as a beer warms up is the flavors become more pronounced. I feel like you taste less in any beer when it's cold, like an IPA, for example, an ice-cold one. You don't get as much of the bitterness or the aroma, but as it warms up, that'll start to come out. I think stouts typically should be drank on the warmer side, but it also depends on what you're going for. You know, our our dry Irish stout is four and a half percent, very, very dry, you know, almost as dry as a, a pale ale or a pilsner or, or something, but it's dark in color. So that beer, I don't mind being a little colder personally, but like the Russian Imperial, if I were to drink that, I would pour it and then probably wait 20 minutes before I started drinking it 
because um, I want that to come up almost to room temperature so that I can taste all the complex roasty and malty flavors. Okay, which one's the dry Irish? That one. It's smooth, there's not a lot of aftertaste. There's a little bit, is that the hops? Yeah, the dry Irish stout is a little bit of a hoppier stout. Um, it's a little more bitter than some other ones, but a lot of the bitterness is coming from roasted barley as well, which is uh, barley that's just been kilned pretty much to the point of char. So it's got that flavor of burnt organic material, basically, because that's a lot of what it is. So that provides its own bitterness, which is different than hop bitterness, and that's usually referred to as astringency. So you don't ever want a beer to be completely astringent, but it can be used sort of as a strategy to add bitterness to some to a beer like a stout, a dry stout, which is its own thing. It's Guinness is you know the benchmark around the world for for that style, um, so that's basically what it is. Okay, and then what do we have here? That's the Russian Imperial Stout. So that's a ten and a half percent high alcohol. It's got some very complex kind of fruity malt flavors. I get a lot of stone fruit, so dates or prunes or raisins. Not very hoppy. Good amount of sweetness on the finish. And a lot of chocolatey, roasty characters, like you'd expect in any stout. Uh, let me ask you about the chocolate. And I noticed this in several chocolate stouts is that it, you don't get the chocolate on the first the first pull, but the second pull, you do. Mm -hmm. Why is that? So that might have to do with what we were talking about earlier is a beer warms up. And typically, I would say it kind of blossoms or blooms a little bit in flavor. So stuff that you didn't taste on the first sip, you might get a lot more of by the last sip. And there's malts that can make a beer taste like chocolate. And then there's chocolate stouts that are brewed with actual chocolate in some form, whether that's cocoa nibs or a, like a liquid chocolate product that you add in later on. And so those can, uh, can give varying chocolate flavors as well. Yeah, the second one, it's not even, I mean, that was like, what, 30 seconds? But mm -hmm. the second one, I don't know if it's your taste buds or if it's just it's it's a whole new ball game and your mouth's just getting used to it or, or yeah. what, but it, then it shows up. Yeah, I mean, everyone experiences beer flavors a little differently. You know, it might even be as simple as just when you tilted the glass on that first sip and set it back down, it roused the beer a little bit in the glass. And so by the time you add the second one, it had some new flavors for you. Well, what I usually like to do is I usually like to get a bottle and I usually like to run around the block with it, shaking it, and then I come home and then I pour it. Is that is that good? Is that a good is that a good idea? Yeah, I mean, it just it depends on what you're going for in a in a pour, I guess. If that's your style. I think we support it. Yeah. Going for foam. Going for as long as it involves you buying a beer first, then we're in favor of it. All right, and number three, what do we have here? That's the vanilla cream stout, the the one that started it all. Wow, that's a lot of vanilla. And that's, that's okay, that's good, because that's what I'm expecting. I didn't get that in the bottled version. Mm -hmm. How come? So one difference is uh, we're serving it on nitro here. So that's gonna give it a creamier mouthfeel, which is gonna help accentuate those creamy vanilla flavors that come out. So I would say that's the biggest difference. And what do you do to try to recreate what we're having here in the bottle? There are technologies to package nitrogenated beer, but they're usually pretty expensive. So I know Guinness is able to do it. Left Hand Brewing Company does it out of Colorado, and there's a few others. For us, we just don't have the, uh, the equipment we would need to really package a nitrogenated beer and send it out. So you gotta come down to the brewery for it. We will definitely be back. So tell me about the IBUs for each of the beers, and why is that important for someone to know? 
I mean, so the IBU basically gives you a vague sense of how bitter a beer is gonna be. So if you are someone that is new to beer, usually uh, people that come in do not start with like super bitter beers. You know, they're looking, kind of people that are first timers that come in are like, oh, like what do you have that's light? What do you have that's very drinkable? That's kind of like Bud Light, kind of like Budweiser, these macro lagers. And usually what they're trying to say is, I don't want something that's too bitter. Bitter is kind of this like, you know, for some reason, dirty word in the English language, at least around beer. I mean, we're all trying to change that. But so the IBU basically will give you a gauge, a basic gauge of how bitter a beer is gonna be. And usually you'll see numbers anywhere from like five to 10 for a Saison, uh, up to 70, 80, 90 for a double, triple IPA. Uh, stouts usually fall in the like 30 to 50 range, but again, it's all very subjective. People perceive bitterness differently and bitterness comes from different compounds, either like what Dave was saying, the astringency from the roasted malts versus alpha acids, which are compounds in hops that provide bitterness to the beer. Uh, one thing I wanna to add to that, there's a common misconception that IBUs and hoppiness are the same thing. So a lot of times people will see a stout and it's 50 IBUs. And for example, our pale ales are much hoppier, but they're 30 IBUs. So that's a, that's a mistake I see a lot of people making, just looking at the board and they're already in their mind eliminating beers that maybe they would like because it's a high IBU beer. And they're like, oh, I don't like hoppy beer, so I won't get that. Like a Russian Imperial Stout needs to be very bitter because it's got all that sweetness in it too. So you want everything to be balanced which means sweeter beers are also going to be more bitter. It's, it's just a bigger beer overall. Take me through the manufacturing of the dry Irish. So the dry Irish stout is made with a very heavy dose of roasted barley and a very heavy dose of flaked barley. What the roasted barley does is gives us a dark color, but with a very light white head. What the flaked barley does is gives us a robust creamy mouthfeel um, while still being able to ferment out and be very dry. So that's a low gravity beer. Um, we can make it really fast. It doesn't take a long time because it's not asking very much of the yeast. It's great. It hasn't been a hugely fast seller for us, but it's definitely a favorite amongst the staff. So we're happy to keep it on just for us. Well, it's uh, it's definitely has a has a just a great character to it, and it's I mean, the great thing about stouts is if you like stouts, I mean, they're all drinkable. But you've just got to kind of, you know, as, as far as rating this, I mean, this is definitely a top tier stout. So I'm, I'm pretty impressed with that one. Tell me about the Russian Imperial. So the Russian Imperial is similar, but takes a lot longer um, because it's such a big beer. So it is over double the uh, percent alcohol of the dry Irish stout. It takes a long time for the yeast to ferment. I used a special yeast strain for that beer, a Scottish ale yeast strain that we don't typically use. And then the other thing I did with that beer was aged it on stainless steel for about three months. So that was, you know, a long process. And one of the things we're fortunate to have here at uh, YOLO is a lot of tank space and ample time. So I really love that. You know, I've worked in production breweries where, you know, you have to turn tanks and we're on a tight schedule and grocery stores have to get their beer. So being able to work at a place like YOLO where the only thing that matters is having the beer be as good as we can make it. You know, if I need to let it sit for three months in a tank, then I can do that. So yeah, that beer has changed a lot over, like when we first put it in stainless, it tasted completely different than, uh, than what it tastes like now. Okay. 
Dave, Ilya, thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, so I'm back at the Stoutcast Den, and time to recap. For the vanilla, way more vanilla on the tap version from Yolo Brewing, I'm still not crazy about it, but since I have nothing to compare it to, I don't really know what to do with it. If you like vanilla, this may be the beer for you. For me, it's 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 drinkable and it's and it's pretty good drinkable. It's just not it's not my favorite. However, going up the rung is the Irish Dry. It's dry, but it is good. A little bitter, very drinkable, very good. It's certainly a notch above the vanilla, much more of a polished product. And then the creme de la creme, the imperial, just the flavors were much better. Just a lot higher alcohol content might have helped a little. A really good beer. It's right on the borderline of, of being really good and excellent. So the imperial is my favorite. Once again, many thanks to Yolo Brewing Company and thanks to you for listening to another episode of The Stoutcast. We'll catch you next time.